Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, October 27th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, we finally have a new U.S. House Speaker. We'll recap Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks' fundraiser with several presidential candidates. And we'll talk about our reporting on how caucus candidates are spending their money in Iowa and on the ever-important Iowa evangelical voters. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Aaron, now that we've got the speaker situation wrapped up, I'd actually like to make a motion to vacate the podcast host chair. (laughs) Uh, It is very clear in the podcast bylaws that it requires... uh, a 150 percent vote for that to happen so uh let me let me know when you get there (laughs) uh sarah watson is not here because she's a coward after shaming me last week uh after the hawkeyes beat the badgers and then refusing to show up this week uh after the hawkeyes suffered an ignominious defeat so um uh no sarah's sarah's just off uh I hope she catches that one. Uh, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Hello, Jared. An early happy uh, happy Halloween to you, Aaron, and to all the ghouls and goblins who listen. I appreciate that. I've already been uh, deep in my Halloween playlist uh, the last week or so. And finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman with us. Hello, Todd. Hello. If at any point I wave during this podcast, it's not because I'm signaling for a fair catch. <laughs> Outstanding. I love it. I thought for sure someone was going to tell me to shut up midway through those introductions uh, as, as, as an homage to the uh, House Speaker press conference. Shut up! <laughs> All right. Speaking of which, we start this week uh, with the news that our brief national eh, mayor is over. Uh, just more than three weeks after former Speaker Kevin McCarthy was ousted by a small subset of his colleagues. U.S. House Republicans have settled on a new speaker and forever filed under the category the fourth time was the charm is new speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana. Johnson was the, uh, what, fourth or fifth candidate to emerge, if you count McCarthy. In the wake of McCarthy's dismissal, he was handed the gavel after Representatives Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and Tom Emmer failed to gain enough Republican votes. All House Republicans voted for Johnson, So we know that all four Iowa Republicans in the House voted for Johnson. The new speaker and the House Republican Conference are already facing questions about Johnson's efforts to help former President Donald Trump overturn the 2020 presidential election results, despite the aforementioned attempt to shout those questions down. Uh, Caleb, you reported on this. What did the Iowa delegation have to say about their votes in support of new Speaker Johnson? Yes, they were all pretty united in their response to this, um, as was most of the Republican caucus, it seems. Um, They said Mike Johnson will lead the Republican caucus in the right direction and lead on conservative priorities uh, that they all subscribe to. Um, You know, some of the some priorities they mentioned include supporting Israel, securing the southern border and passing single subject subject appropriation bills. Um, That last one was a major concern of some of the conservative hardliners that ultimately voted to oust McCarthy. Um, after he passed a continuing resolution to keep the government open back in September. Um, So they really are keeping to the party message, not really rocking any boats. Obviously, um, Marionette Miller-Meeks voted against Jim Jordan last week, um, but she hasn't raised any concerns about Johnson um, since then. 
it's it's also um, worth noting that the uh, Democrats have quickly come out and criticized our GOP members because um, the state party said Johnson is a, quote, MAGA extremist. Um, they pointed to his support for overturning the 2020 election and a national abortion ban and his opposition to marriage equality and funding in Ukraine. So the Republicans are definitely getting flack for that decision as well. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of that, uh, Todd, I wanted to ask, you, you know, as we look ahead, because this is a political podcast, so we just can't help ourselves. Um, does a speaker, Mike Johnson, mean trouble for Zach Nunn, Marionette Miller-Meeks, or, or Ashley Henson in 2024? Well, probably not. I'm not sure, you know, I, there seems to be this disconnect between issues and sort of voting for your, for the team that you feel more culturally attached to in politics. And I don't think that, you know, the speaker election is going to have a big bearing on, on, you know, how they do. I, I mean, Democrats will try to make hay out of it. I, I saw that uh, Speaker Johnson wrote a op-ed years ago where he argued for making homosexuality illegal and even premarital sex illegal. So uh, he, he's, he's no fun for one thing. And, uh, he he's got some really far far right wing stances on issues. Some of you, some that you mentioned. Uh, he's he's probably a little bit to the right of Jim Jordan, if you can believe that. So I mean, one thing we don't know is how long is he going to be speaker. Uh, I mean, he may succumb to the same uh, fate as McCarthy if if we get toward a government shutdown and he blinks and decides to do a compromise and then if he lets the government shut down then you know that's of course gonna gonna look bad in the eyes of, of some americans and some voters so uh i i don't envy his place i i think it's probably the worst job in america right now other than well, i don't know i guess cleaning out cafos or something uh at least at least you you know how that's gonna go when you're gonna be finished <laughs> and uh, you don't know that when you're Speaker of the House now, you could it could end tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I I don't think it'll have a big political impact next year okay. in congressional elections. But I mean, Democrats will talk about it. And, yeah, interesting. Um, I I just want to I can't fully repeat it because it's a family podcast. But I'll I'll say what I'm thinking of to and people who know can laugh along with me as you talk about the worst job. I I'm I'm instantly reminded of an old bit that Norm. Uh, McDonald used to do on Saturday Night Live uh, a joke about a study about the worst job in in the country each year. Uh, so if you know what I'm talking about, you're laughing with me now, and you know why I can't repeat it. <laughs> um, uh, um, I, I, and to your point, Todd, too, that that's a great point about how long you'll be speaker, and and that showdown is coming up before too long, right? I mean, that was a short uh, extension. I can't remember November. what that date. Thank you. November, Go ahead, November 17th is the is the deadline. So yeah. a week before is that a week before Thanksgiving? When is Thanksgiving? I I don't know. I know when the budget showdown ends, but I don't know when Thanksgiving is. So that's that's uh that's that's a, that's a sad that's a sad commentary on my life. Yeah, oh my god, that hits too close to home. <laughs> uh Let's see here. The 17th is the Friday before Thanksgiving. So um, 
see how the turkey tastes uh, uh, at that point, depending on what happens. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll find out pretty soon um, what uh, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson uh, means for the U.S. House and in slim Republican majority. We're you know, not even a month away from that. All right, so let's talk about that then and move on from now. So speaking, uh, move on for now. Uh, speaking of Marionette Miller Meeks and shifting our focus to the camp caucus campaign trail now, the Eastern Iowa Congresswoman held a fundraiser this past weekend that featured seven of the Republican presidential candidates. Tom, last week we asked what you were kind of uh, watching out for. You were there to cover the event. How did it go? Did anything uh, jump off the page at you? Um, I guess... Uh... <laughs> Um, I guess the, the first thing that jumped off the page to me was um, just how forceful um, Congresswoman Marionette Miller Meeks was in defending her vote against Jim Jordan as speaker and defending her voting record. Um, it made for a bit of an awkward moment. Um, so, uh um, all of the all of the candidates um, and speakers, including Congresswoman Miller Meeks, um, stood on the bed of a bright red truck um, for her tailgate fundraiser event in, in Iowa City uh, this past weekend. And in talking about the um, backlash that she got over um, switching uh, her vote from uh, uh, Jim Jordan to another House Republican to be speaker, which she said spawned credible death threats against her. Um, in in delivering uh, a defense of that, um, she said that, uh, you know, I, I'm never going to quit fighting for Iowa. I'm never going to quit fighting for this country. It, and then it led to kind of this awkward line where she said, so if you think that you can intimidate me, go suck it up, buttercup. Um, and it, it, it just felt like an odd moment because I don't know that um, I guess that's maybe the the uh, appropriate phrase in this in this context. You know what I mean? It seemed like she she wanted to be even more forceful um, and say something um, that she probably couldn't in in front of uh, that audience and um, you know um, called the last second audible and came up with the suck it up buttercup line. Um, which again just kind of seems a little bit awkward and, and out of place given the context. Um, but uh, you know, people there were 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 um, as you can imagine, since this was a political fundraiser, very supportive of uh, the congresswoman. Um, the uh, candidates in attendance uh, were supportive of her, um, and you know, we've since uh, heard remarks and comments from other uh, Iowa Republicans, other members of um, the congressional delegation and um, and some of the presidential uh, uh, candidates, you know, denouncing, um, you know, threats of violence in, in kind of the, the reaction that um, she and, and other House Republicans have received. Um, other things that stood out to me, um, I guess, unsurprisingly, um, a lot of the candidates focused their comments on um, the uh, continuing conflict going on between uh, Israel and Hamas uh, and, and um, the um, ongoing Israeli uh, response um, in, in, in Gaza and in, in other parts of Israel. But 
Um, I guess it 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 was um, I guess maybe a little surprising to me just how forceful some of the candidates were uh, in talking about the need to um, to to um, to tamp down and to um, suppress what they view as um, uh, pro-Hamas, um, you know, anti-Semitic uh, comments on college campuses and universities and, and um, again, pro-Palestinian demonstrations and protests that have been held across the country that, again, they view as supportive of, of, of Hamas, um, which, which they uh, call and label a, a terrorist organization and, and again, see it as anti-Semitic, um, anti-Jewish. Um, you had uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott saying that um, if he, well, again, describing the protest um, across the country against Israel's response in Gaza, is anti-Semitic and vowing that if he's elected, he would sign into law legislation that he introduced that would revoke federal student aid to colleges and universities that um, in, in, in his view and in, in his mind, um, I guess, um, is supportive of um, terrorism or, or, or terrorists. Um, we heard similar comments from Nikki Haley and from Ron DeSantis. Um, Haley talked about um, the need, kind of similar to, to Scott, of pulling government funding from universities with students and staff who um, protest um, uh, in, in support of Hamas and, and against uh, Israel's actions in response to, to Hamas and Gaza. Um, Governor DeSantis talked about how he would um, um, uh, revoke um, student visas um, and um, de deport foreign nationals um, who, um, again, express support for, for Hamas and, and criticize um, Israel and, and its response. All right. Um, and speaking of uh, fundraisers, uh, Caleb wrote an interesting story this week about how uh, presidential candidates are spending their money to campaign in Iowa. Caleb, uh, want to let you give us a few highlights from that story and, and not too much to give away the farm so people still want to chill still check it out. Yeah, so this was this was a really fun one, if not um, a little bit infuriating as I had to kind of exercise my rusty Excel skills and I lost an entire spreadsheet um, that I spent like two hours on uh, at one point. So I had to start <laughs> over. Oh no. Um, yeah. But uh, other than that, you know, great time. Uh, so it was, yes. Yeah, so, so just, I, I, I kind of examined just where um, or what the spending uh, was of the presidential candidate campaigns in Iowa specifically. So um, this is, as I mentioned in the story, um, not the m most complete picture of political spending in Iowa because um, the super PACs like Never Back Down and MAGA Inc. have been spending a ton of money advertising and uh, organizing here and then uh, advertisements that are placed here, but, uh, you know, produced by firms outside of the state um, aren't put in there. But there's still some interesting nuggets in there. Um, the most interesting thing uh, came from the candidate Ryan Binkley, who uh, if you haven't heard from him or heard of him, I wouldn't blame you. He's not uh, terribly well known. He's a Texas pastor and CEO of a um, the company Generational Group. Uh, he's a largely self-funded candidate. He gave $4.75 million to his own campaign in the last quarter. Um, and more than $3 million of that was spent um, right here in Iowa, mostly to a uh, Davenport consulting firm called Victory Enterprises. 
Um, so they are, I, and I, I talked with uh, Ryan Binkley um, for this story and uh, Victory Enterprises is running, essentially running his national campaign. Um, so, you know, his, uh, the, the other candidates are spent, many of the other candidates have spent more nationally than him, but just because um, so much of his campaign is going through Victory Enterprises, um, that's where all that money comes from. So looking at that, uh, you know, there's about $1.8 million in advertising that he spent through them. Um, some Most of that was in Iowa, some of it was national, he said. Um, hundreds of thousands, no, more than a million on uh, printing merchandise and signs. And um, I thought an uh, interesting little nugget of that was that he spent six hundred and fifty thousand dollars on hats uh specifically in the line item uh, uh was was devoted to hats um and you know if you were at the state fair you may have run into his uh his uh organizers they were passing out hats at the state fair and you know um he told me they love passing out hats and they love to they're trying to get their name out there that way so uh other other candidates uh donald trump has spent a little more than two hundred thousand. he was the second most uh highest spender in iowa but that's you know a massive gap there between three million and two hundred thousand. Right. um he spent ten thousand dollars at steer and stein at the iowa state fair when he was there um for the one day he was at the fair um i i if i remember right the campaign paid for everybody's food so that i'm sure added up to a lot and then another ten thousand dollars at for the Iowa Pork Producers Association um, the next day, which I don't know if that was for something in the Iowa Pork Tent that same day or or um, some other event. That would that, that would be my guess, yeah, that it was yeah. for the same day and just it wasn't billed until the next day. Right. Um, DeSantis's campaign spent a little around fifty thousand dollars. It was he was kind of in the bottom half, I would say, of of spenders. Um, that kind of reflects the fact that Never Back Down has handled a lot of his organizing and campaigning um they're not technically allowed to coordinate but they uh he has been uh, appeared as a special guest on their tours uh, many times so um you know he but but he still spent a lot on travel um vivek ramaswamy has spent about uh forty thousand dollars on newspaper advertising um that was one of the biggest expenses or he was, was another one of the biggest spenders a lot on food um, the pizza ranch index was fun. Uh, it was a little about three thousand uh, dollars, a little more than three thousand dollars spent on pizza ranch between all the candidates. And Ramaswamy um, made up the most of that with more than twenty five hundred dollars that he spent on pizza ranch. So, uh, I guess the last interesting thing would be um, Chris Christie, who has, as far as we know, never been to campaigned in Iowa. Spent his campaign spent three hundred sixty seven dollars on a limo service in Marion in September. Um, not really sure what that was for. I, I mean, I to be to be fair, I didn't ask, but uh, that just an interesting little nugget. So yeah, and Caleb, and uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jared. No, my, my I have a much less important question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just gonna ask Caleb as I listened to that, and and um and you tell me, but this it's it's kind of interesting, and that story also illustrates how much the campaigns don't spend in Iowa. Does that make sense? Like we know they're spending a ton of money, way much, mm-hmm. way more than those numbers. And even though they're coming here, you know, the, 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 the purchases that the campaign actually makes, whether it's through an advertising company or whatever it is, very little of that is actually in Iowa. That's why Ryan Binkley is kind of the exception to the rule. Is, is that, is that you think, a fair kind of view of that, Caleb? Yeah, that's definitely, that's kind of where I, or what I um, surmise yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the, um, obviously, consulting is done outside of Iowa. Right. Um, some of the big, biggest expenses for for um, the candidates that did spend a lot um, was consulting. Um, uh, Binkley paid a lot to, to, to Victory for consulting. Right. Um, 
Doug Burgum has paid uh, a fair amount to um, the Concept Works, uh, which is a firm that is run by his Iowa State director for consulting. Um, so if they're, you know, if they're paying an Iowa firm, that shows up. But yeah, if they're paying a, a outside company for advertising that then places the ads in Iowa, we don't see that. Um, uh, travel again, uh, of course, is yeah. another big one that ends up getting to Iowa. But yeah, otherwise, it, it's not. Um, it's not. It's a very small portion of their special. Yeah, yeah, which which kind of pairs well with a, a story that I did a few years back, and I'm always glad I did because it it kind of illustrated similarly something um, that I don't know that I would have otherwise known is is that and, and you hear a lot about about the caucuses and and the economical impact of Iowa. It's actually not very big at all. It it, it really mm-hmm. isn't in the in the grand scheme of things. It's it it's barely a drop in the bucket it, it's easy to look at that every at, at this activity every four years and just assume that because of all these candidate visits that a ton of money is flowing into the state and it, it, that's actually not not the case at all um so this so 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 yeah so it, that's that's an interesting story caleb appreciate that and, and like i said um folks definitely check that out Jer- now jared is this the right time to add what you? oh yeah saying? uh well you you mentioned uh the the pizza ranch uh expenditures caleb i want to know what were the uh, the expenditures on Casey's uh, breakfast pizza and uh, <laughs> the opportunity to get shameless uh, photos with those for promotional sake? Unfortunately, the the reports don't um, have the, the that detailed of a list on how much it was, was spent on breakfast pizza alone. But um, but Casey's definitely I saw quite a bit. Um, whether that be for travel, for gas, or for food, right? So um, I had I did not add that up, but um, I could get back to you, Jared. <laughs> That's fair. That, that would be amazing if we if we could delineate that out. I think it's safe to assume that at least 50 percent of Casey's purchases are breakfast pizza and the other is just gas and, and uh, chips. All fair right. Enough. Or it didn't, didn't run <laughs> to get a Quest bar. I, I feel like that was a story yep. for a second. Zero <laughs> percent of those purchases are coming from me, Aaron. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not. a. Oh. Am I going to get us both in trouble, Jared? I'll, uh, <laughs> get him out. I'm in with you. I'm not a it's, breakfast pizza guy. I, I just didn't. No, I, I don't no, get it. No, I don't, I don't have anything against it, but I don't, you know, flip out about it like um, so many folks do. Breakfast tacos, far more satisfying. I'm with you on that, too. I'm with you on that, too. But, hey, it's a big world. There's room for all of us to have different palates. Okay. <laughs> Last but not least for this week's episode. Um, I wanted to highlight another story, this one that Tom and I worked on, um, and this uh, published last weekend. So again, um, check that out when and if you have time. Um, We had wanted to explore Iowa's evangelical or Christian conservative voters and their impact on Republican primaries in Iowa, especially, obviously, the Republican presidential primary and the Republican Iowa caucuses. So Tom and I spent the past few months uh, interviewing those types of uh, voters at, at various events, we talked to leaders of faith-based organizations in the state. We talked to experts on religion and politics. And um, I humbly submit that that story is very well worth your time. And uh, please check it out on your favorite Gazette or Leave website. Um, Tom, I, and I'll take a crack at this question too, but I'll, I'll let you go first. As you were reporting that story, was there anything that um, uh, surprised you or that you found especially interesting? I guess the thing that I found most interesting is there seemed to be somewhat of a disconnect between the polling and what we were hearing from a lot of evangelical voters. If you look at the polling in Iowa, it shows that among Iowa Republicans and among likely uh, Iowa GOP caucus goers, Trump 
far and away is, is the favorite and has this commanding lead pulling about, um, I guess I haven't looked at the most recent polling, but, you know, somewhere around what, 50% or more yeah. um, yep. su support from uh, Iowa, likely Iowa Republican uh, primary voters. But when you talk to a lot of these evangelical voters, many of them indicate that Trump is kind of testing the resiliency of his support among evangelical voters. And a lot of them are unhappy with the former president and are looking for an alternative and are weighing different options um, and looking at a, a candidate other than Trump. Um, a lot of them are, you know, weighing uh, support between uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former UN ambassador, uh, Nikki Haley. Um, but I guess it was just, it was it was interesting to me how many uh, evangelical voters said that they uh, are unhappy with the former president for a, a variety of reasons. Um, you know, um, a uh, significant number of them said that they were unhappy with uh, Trump's recent remarks related to abortion and his criticism of states that have passed so-called six-week abortion bans. Um, so Trump uh, went on uh, Meet the Press and during an interview um, was asked about the, uh, again, so-called six-week abortion ban that uh, Governor DeSantis passed in Florida, um, which is similar to the abortion ban that um, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds passed and signed into law this summer, uh, Trump commenting that he felt that um, laws like that uh, were a terrible thing. And a lot of evangelical voters um, weren't, weren't happy with that. Um, you know, they're not looking for you know, nuance on, 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 on that issue. Um, you know, they are staunchly opposed to um, abortion. Um, a lot of them believe that life begins at conception and they want to see um, strict measures put in place to protect what they see as, as, as innocent life. Um, and, are looking for a candidate who, um, you know, is 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 firm and committed on that issue. And um, in in speaking with um, uh, Bob Vanderplatz, uh, the leader of the um, Iowa Christian Conservative uh, Organization, excuse me, the family leader talked about for a lot of Iowa evangelical voters that in their mind, if you get um, the, the quote-unquote pro-life issue right, they're more likely to trust you on a lot of other issues that are important to evangelical voters, be that border security, be that, um, uh, you know, protecting religious freedom, uh, whether that is, you know, trying to tame inflation, uh, you know, reduce or limit federal spending, um, efforts to, to reduce the national debt, et cetera, um, 
you know, for a lot of them, the abortion issue is a, a cornerstone issue, which which isn't surprising. But I guess what was surprising to me was just um, how many people, again, were not happy with the former uh, president um, on the issue of abortion. Um, you know, they say that they give um, uh, former President Trump a lot of credit for appointing conservative justices to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, that uh, eventually led to uh, the overturning of federal abortion protections, you know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which paved the way for states like Florida and Iowa and all the others, you know, to, to implement, um, you know, these more, um, uh, I guess, stringent uh, abortion restrictions. Um, but but again, you know, said that they, they didn't appreciate his comments. They also said that they... Um, don't know, uh, I guess they're concerned with what they say is the baggage that comes with the former president with regard to all of the legal legal entanglements that he's facing right now um, and how polarizing and divisive a figure he is in American politics and questioning and, and fearing, um, you know, what his chances would be in a general election and feeling that they have uh, a better shot, a better chance uh, with some of these other candidates. Yeah, um, and and to the the and I was going to speak to sort of the flip side of that, the, the folks who still are in former President Trump's camp. Um, it, it was just kind of interesting, especially um, had a real fascinating interview, uh, a, a chunk of which I used in the story um, with Kedrick Bardwell, who's a political science professor at. Um, Simpson College and and also an, an expert in religion and politics and and uh, we kind of talked about the um, um, the shift in in the way evangelical voters view candidates and um, from the old values voters days and and uh, um, you know getting behind candidates in Iowa like like uh, Mike Huckabee and and uh, Rick Santorum and um, to to then. Um, at first maybe being opposed to Donald Trump, but eventually getting on board and, and it was just with him and it was interesting to hear Professor Bardwell kind of describe that process and, and he used the word transactional, which I thought was interesting that, um, you know, the voters have decided, and I think you alluded to it, Tom, um, you know, that former President Trump was able to appoint some Supreme Court justices so and, and do other things that the, that those types of voters like the actions that, that, that were taken and so they can they learn to make their peace with some of the behaviors that they that in in the past would have disqualified a, a candidate in their eyes. Uh, that was kind of a fascinating. And then to line that up with what we hear on the on uh, when we're at Trump events and and we hear people talk about uh, those things and and say that you know I'm not worried about um, that stuff. Um, Jared, I'm sure you run into evangelical Christian conservative voters uh, fairly regularly uh, in Northwest Iowa. Do, do your experiences when you talk to those folks at, at, at campaign events, do, do they do they match what Tom and I found for our story? Um, well, w- one thing I would say is I don't necessarily know how much I buy uh, like the divisiveness stuff is going to be an issue once we actually get to voting in the primary, because I don't know if for the average person, Trump is any more divisive than he was in 2020 or 2016. So it'll be interesting to see how many of the people that are worried about that actually um, do or don't vote for him. Um, Yeah, reading your guys' story, I think uh, it is pretty reflective of conversations I've had right down to how fond folks seem to be of Tim Scott without being uh, so fond of him as to actually support him in larger numbers in the polls. Right. 
Um, and yeah, like um, like Tom was um, saying earlier, what I am also really curious to see from conversations I've had and from reading your guys' story is for the folks who abortion is their number one issue, like how they're going to break. Because we've talked before that Trump can brag about getting Roe v. Wade overturned. But yeah, as we talked about, he's also straight from the party line when talking about these more recent abortion restrictions. So it kind of comes down to like, does recency on this issue matter more or does like the biggest thing you've done on the issue matter more? And I'll be really curious to see how that eventually does play out. That was one thing I was uh, enjoyed seeing in the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point and question. You know, do they say, Hey, he deserves my support for what he did, or do they look at what he said now and say, I, I'm, I'm now I'm nervous about what he might do during a second term. Do I need to, um, you know, support someone else in, instead? And because, you know, as, as you mentioned, all this is so um, transactional, like in, in theory, the, the big transaction for people who abortion is the number one issue, that transaction happened. Roe v. Wade got yeah. overturned. And so, you know, maybe Trump touting that doesn't matter as much now that it has already happened and come to pass. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. All right. Uh, so, yeah, again, uh, humble plea. Uh, if you hadn't yet, check out that story. Check out uh, Caleb's. Check out all the work of the gang uh, here. Uh, we promise it's worth your time. Uh, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you're not already, be sure, to serve, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts, or you can also catch the podcast each week on your preferred Gazette or Lee newspaper website. Now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, as I said, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Non-Pharrell, and the Sioux City Journal. Youth Orchestra will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
be right We need to know this now And we got to know tonight Ooh, what you put into that suit And a little bit of cloud 
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.